You're tuned to Radio Maria, a Christian voice in your home. The following program is a rebroadcast of Miracle Hunter with Michael O'Neill. Welcome to The Miracle Hunter, where it doesn't matter if you're a believer or a skeptic, it's always worth the hunt. My name is Michael O'Neill. I'm The Miracle Hunter and creator of the website, MiracleHunter.com. I'll be your host for the next hour as we continue our weekly exploration of the world of miracles. Today, May 13th, of course, is one of the great feast days in our Catholic faith, the Feast of Our Lady of Fatima, Our Lady of the Rosary. It's one of the very few apparitions that has a universal feast day in our Church. You know, we have Guadalupe, Lourdes, Divine Mercy, Our Lady of Mount Carmel, and then Fatima. So that's about it. Uh, Now, most people are aware that it was an apparition in Portugal to three shepherd children in the year 1917, and that was to Francisco Marto, uh, who was nine years old, uh, his sister Jacinta Marto, age seven, and their cousin, Lucia dos Santos, who was 10. Uh, the two shepherd children, uh, the young ones, uh, died at a young age, and they were beatified by John Paul II. Now, this day commemorates the first in a series of these famous apparitions occurring on May 13th, and several months after that, also on the 13th of the month. Now, Fatima is considered the gold standard of Marian apparitions, and a great devotion to Our Lady under this title continues worldwide. Today's guest, uh, we have the Executive Director of the Blue Army of Fatima, David Carollo, and he'll be here to recount the story of, our, of Fatima for our listeners. And we also will have Donald Anthony Foley, an author and a great Fatima expert, so he'll be on later in the show. So looking forward to both of those guests. And of course, in just a bit, we'll be asking you a Catholic trivia question, so get your pens and paper ready. Later in the show, we'll be talking about how Our Lady is honored around the world today on May 13th in our segment, 365 Days with Mary. Of course, it's obvious she's honored as Our Lady of Fatima, but we'll tell you another way that somewhere else in the world she's honored. And more information on this project can be found at 365dayswithmary.com or on Facebook, 365 Days with Mary. Now, this week, in sort of miraculous news, uh, we always like to pick one story, and we're going to talk a little bit about the very strange story coming out of Harvard University. Uh, It was a very sad case where uh, there was a student group uh, who was planning to do a reenactment of a black mass uh, that celebrates Satan. Uh, They had scheduled it to take place at Harvard University on Monday evening of this this week. Um, Now, it had outraged the local... Catholic community there in the the church, uh, but a group was planning on going forward with it, saying that it was educational. Now, the Harvard Extension Cultural Studies Club was hosting the Satanic Temple from New York, and the Black Mass was scheduled for Monday night in the basement of Memorial Hall on Harvard's campus. Uh, Now, there was a lot of uh, emails and things going on on social media going back and forth about this, uh, 
and uh, a lot of letters written to the president of Harvard. Uh, the president actually, his name is Drew Faust, he issued a statement, and he called the decision to put on the event abhorrent, regrettable, and disgraceful. Uh, but he failed to bar the event from campus, saying, consistent with the university's commitment to free expression, end quote. So, uh, unfortunately, he uh, spoke out against it, but did not shut it down personally, and he said he was going to go to Eucharistic Adoration for, uh, to say a prayer that the event was canceled. Cardinal Sean O'Malley actually spoke out against it as well, saying why people would want to do something that is so offensive to so many people in this community whether they're Catholic or not, is very repugnant. There's a great fascination with evil in the world, but you know it doesn't lead to anything good, end quote. So that was Cardinal Sean O'Malley. Thankfully, the Black Mass was not only moved off of campus, but was later canceled by the student sponsors. So that's the power of prayer at work. Thank you for everyone's prayers on that one. And that's today's Miracle News. Uh, to keep up to date with the latest in Miracle News, please visit MiracleHunter.com and sign up for our newsletter. You'll receive a monthly email with the latest Miracle Hunter news, including reports on the latest miracle and news stories, links to past radio show podcasts, updates on my television series, Miracle Hunters, now in development, and my book, Hunting for a Miracle, due out in fall 2014, any upcoming speaking engagements, and much, much more. So sign up for the newsletter on MiracleHunter.com by clicking the newsletter link at the bottom of the page. And now we will reach into the mailbag or the email inbox, as it were, for today's question of the day. Question goes like this Dear Miracle Hunter, have there ever been apparitions to non Catholics, non Christians, or even atheists? God bless you, Jenny. Well, thanks, Jenny, for your excellent question. It's an important one to consider. You know, apparitions, they certainly seem to be most common in Catholic countries. Of course, France, Italy, and Spain lead the list, um, and they always seem to happen to believe in Catholics. There have been a few instances otherwise. Now, the skeptics amongst us might say, well, see, she should appear to everyone just the same, uh, but it is important to remember that Our Lady perhaps appears to those who, that, who have a context for understanding her presence. It would be like trying to speak to someone in a language foreign to them. Very difficult, indeed, to communicate. A few instances of non-Catholics witnessing apparitions would be Our Lady of Shaluva, where Our Lady appeared in 1608 in a Calvinist town, where only the oldest people in the town even remembered that there had once been a Catholic church there. She instructed them to find a hidden image, and once it was uncovered, the entire town uh, converted. In 1947, in Tre Italy, Our Lady appeared to a poor Italian tram conductor named Bruno Cornacciola in Rome. He was a Protestant Adventist and a communist. In fact, his anti-Catholicism ran so deep and was so extreme that he was actually plotting an assassination attempt on the Pope. On April 2nd, 1947, while he was practicing for an upcoming anti-Catholic lecture, he and his children actually encountered the Blessed Virgin Mary in a grotto at Tre Fontania. And of course, uh, listeners to the program in previous weeks might remember the episode we did on Alphonse Ratisbonne and his conversion. He was the Jewish atheist who, with the help of the Miraculous Medal, converted in 1842. Another episode we covered uh, the visions in the Middle East, and we talked about 
how Our Lady appeared in Zaytun, Egypt, in 1968 to millions of Christians, Muslims, Jews, and atheists all over the course of several years. So check out the archives of the past episodes for more information on those events. And that was the question of the day. If you have questions for the Miracle Hunter, please email questions at miraclehunter.com, and we'll select one question each week. Now it's time for Catholic Pub Trivia. Each week I'll be asking a trivia question and giving out a prize for a caller that gets the right answer. This week we'll be giving away a framed image of a piece of artwork entitled The Faces of Mary. You can check it out at miraclehunter.com on the homepage. You'll see that it's a photo mosaic of over 100 images of Our Lady that forms a large, beautiful picture of the Madonna and Child. And trivia questions are generously provided by Catholic Pub Trivia, an organization that partners with Catholic parishes, schools, or religious organizations to host Trivia Night fundraisers at local establishments. For more information on Catholic Pub Trivia or to organize an event in your area, please visit catholicpubtrivia.com. We always try to keep the questions related to the theme of the day's program. Of course, today, May 13th, we're talking about Our Lady of Fatima. Question is, Blessed Francisco Marto was 10 years old when he died, and Blessed Jacinta Marto was 9. If and when that day comes when they are canonized, they will be considered the youngest saints. Currently, who is the youngest non-martyr to be declared a saint? So that question again is, currently, who is the youngest non-martyr to be declared a saint? And we'll see if you got the right answer. For those just joining the program, this is Michael O'Neill, and you are listening to the Miracle Hunter radio show. And for more information on the program or my research on miracles, please visit MiracleHunter.com. Each week we talk about uh, a project that I've been working on. Um, it's called 365 Days with Mary. Each week we have this segment and where we recount that for each and every day of the year, Somewhere in the world, there is a Marian title, feast, or commemoration of an apparition or other miraculous event being celebrated. It never ceases to amaze me how much the world loves the Mother of God and honors her throughout each day of the year. I've combined all the dates with their feasts and collected them into one resource, 365 Days with Mary. Each entry features images, a description, prayers, and a history of the feast day, along with information on the shrines associated with them, including visitor information, and links for those wishing to see those places. The project's available in print in the form of a daily calendar, as well as online at 365dayswithmary.com. We're on Twitter, where if you follow us, Facebook, if you like us, you'll get and automatically receive a bit of information each day about that day's feast day. So be sure to like 365 Days with Mary on Facebook and visit the website 365dayswithmary.com to see the project. The print version in the form of a daily organizer makes a great gift for anyone with a devotion to Our Lady. Now, of course, today's major celebration is Our Lady of Fatima, and we'll be talking about that more later in the program, but I'm going to look at another apparition that's also commemorated on May 13th, and that is Our Lady of Leichen in Leichen, Poland. Now, according to legend, the Virgin Mary appeared in Leichen, Poland, to Thomas Kozlowski as a wounded soldier when he was a wounded soldier in 1813. 
A lady was wearing a crown, an amaranth dress, and a gold mantle. She appeared to him holding a white eagle, believe it or not, in her right hand, and she comforted the soldier and promised that he would not only recover, but he would return to Poland. She asked him, in a sort of an exchange for his recovery, that when he got better, that, she would go, that he would go around and look for a picture of her likeness and make it known in his homeland. Well, when the healed soldier returned to his home near Leichen, he wandered around the countryside searching for an image which reflected how Our Lady looked in this apparition. So he went on a walking pilgrimage to Chestahova on the Feast of the Nativity of the Blessed Virgin Mary on the 8th of September. He prayed and prayed, and he told Our Lady, I can't find anything similar to how you really look. So he looked for 13 years. Well, he decided to, on his way home one day, he noticed a small picture in a little shrine nailed to a tree, and he realized that this was the exact picture he was looking for. So uh, he, told, uh, he told everyone around that this was the image of Our Lady as she came to help him on the battlefield. And, uh, in fact, the image had the image of an eagle on her hand as well, and her sad look and her serenity uh, all sort of matched what he had seen. So he took the portrait and placed it in his own house at first, where he prayed before it every day and venerated the image. And it legend says that the image wept every single day, and Thomas wiped the tears away. He hung it up in an old pine tree in a nearby forest, and when he passed away, a shrine was put in its spot. Several years later, Our Lady appeared again to uh, another shepherd. Uh, the name was Mikolaj Siratka and she uh, actually promoted uh, the devotion as well. Uh, Our Lady, in this apparition, told of a cholera epidemic, and she interceded for the healing of many who sought her help. Now, this was an investigated apparition. It was actually approved. Uh, the local parish priest started the investigation and uh, took a record of over 3,000 answers to prayer that were recorded to Our Lady under this title. Paul VI issued an edict announcing the confirmation of the honor to Our Lady of Leichen as a miraculous image, and he ordered that it be crowned. Um, so that's the story of Our Lady of Leichen, an apparition from Poland. Be sure to visit the Project 365 Days with Mary on Facebook and online at 365dayswithmary.com to find out more about this devotion or any of the hundreds of other Marian devotions celebrated around the world. This is Michael O'Neill, and you are listening to the Miracle Hunter Radio Show. Uh, we have a caller on the line who thinks they have the answer to the trivia question. Dan, are you there? Hi, Michael. Yes, I am. Thank you for taking my call. Wonderful. Thanks for calling in. So the question for those just tuning in was, Blessed Francisco Marto was 10, Blessed Jacinta Marto was 9 when they died, and when they're canonized, they will be the youngest saints in our church. Currently, who is the youngest non-martyr to be declared a saint? And what's your answer there, Dan? Yeah, you know, um, I, I think it's a, a little uh, Italian girl who was born in the 30s, and, uh, boy, if I remember her name, I think it was Antoinette Mio or, or something like that. Is that, is that right? Uh, well, the answer that I have is Dominic Savio. He was oh. an, Ita an Italian adolescent student of St. John Bosco. And he was studying to be a priest when he became ill and died at the age of 14, possibly from pleurisy. Uh, he was canonized on June 12, 1954, by Pope Pius XII 
and that made him the youngest non-martyr to be uh, canonized in the Catholic Church. But Dan, thanks for calling in. We'll send you out an image today for calling in and giving that a guess. And uh, where, where are you calling from today, Dan? I'm calling from Chicago. Oh, very good. That's my hometown. So good, oh, good to hear that people city. are beautiful listening city. in Chicago as well. So thanks so much, Dan, for calling in. Thank you. And that was the answer to Catholic Pub Trivia. Dominic Savio was an Italian adolescent who died at the age of 14, and he is currently the youngest non-martyr saint. Of course, Maria Goretti at age 11 and Ponticus of Lyon, age 15, uh, are martyrs, considered martyrs, so they, they did not make that list. So for more information on Catholic Pub Trivia or to organize an event in your area, please visit catholicpubtrivia.com. And today we have a very special guest with us. We will be interviewing the executive director of the Blue Army of Fatima, David Carullo. David, welcome to the show. Thank you, Michael. How are you today? I'm doing very well. Thank you for joining us today. I know you're traveling, and uh, and it's a big day for you with the Feast of Our Lady of Fatima, so thank you for making time in your schedule. Oh, thank you for having us. Yeah, having me on. I appreciate that. Yeah. So uh, why, don't you, why don't you start out? Everybody is familiar, of course, with Our Lady of Fatima, but why don't you just give us a little background on the devotion, and, uh, and then we can talk about the Blue Army and how they promote the devotion to Our Lady. Sure, thank you. Well, of course, the apparitions of Our Lady of Fatima occurred in 1917, but of course, the actual apparitions began in 1916 when the Angel of Peace appeared to the three children. Lucia, Jacinta, and Francisco, you were just speaking of uh, Francisco and Jacinta being the, uh, the two blesseds. Um, they, um, Angel of Peace appeared three times to them in 1916 and set the stage for the apparitions of Our Lady, which began um, 97 years ago today on May 13th of 1917. Our Lady appeared six times to the three children and gave them a message of hope and of warning. Okay. Um, she asked them, are you willing to offer your lives in God, to God in reparation for sin? Um, then, of course, she went on to explain uh, many of the events of the world. World War I was certainly raging at the time, and she said that that war would end. She said war was a punishment for sin, and that's why the world was being scourged at that point for that. Uh, she spoke about Russia, and the, and, and the prophetic part of this is she spoke about Russia and her errors, and this was even before the Bolshevik Revolution. This was in May, and that didn't really occur until the end of 1917, in October, and then later in November, of course. And, um, and so she spoke of many things that could happen, but if people would turn and heed her warnings, these things could be averted. Uh, she spoke of a greater war that would come if her, her warnings were not followed, and in fact, World War II did occur. Uh, she spoke of Russia and her errors, and she said that the errors of Russia would spread if we did not take um, uh, follow the prescription given. So, um, so maybe yeah, say you look at our uh, our our times, and in fact, World War II did occur, uh, and Russia did in fact spread her errors to a great degree to the world. And would I know there's a great debate out there over whether uh, Russia has indeed converted uh, since then, and uh, of course, uh, Russia has been in the news quite a bit lately with the involvement with Ukraine and, and other policies. What, what's your take on sort of the, the role of Our Lady of Fatima in, in the changes in Russia and where Russia is at today? 
Well, you know, she she promised that Russia would be converted, okay? Conversion is a process. Conversion yes. doesn't happen overnight, just like corruption doesn't happen overnight. Right. Um, the, the things that led to the issues in, in, in Russia, and by Russia, she was speaking of the basically atheistic communism is what she was speaking of when she spoke of Russia, and that's where, certainly where it was well-rooted and, and, and did go to the world to a great degree. So yeah, that's so, a great but, clarification. Yep. Mm-hmm. Sure, sure. I mean, I mean, what was, was it the Russian people? No, as a matter of fact, Russia is one of the most Marian devoted countries in the world. In fact, there are more oratories in Russia dedicated to the Blessed Virgin Mary than anywhere else in the world. It's amazing. You know? Okay. So, yeah, so, so historically, Russia is, has, has great devotion to Our Lady. Um, but obviously, the, you know, what, what, what occurred there, well, you know, this is all history, you know, the, the, the started in, uh, in, in the teens and through, of course, the communist years. And, and in 1984, Pope John, St. Pope John, it's got, it's, we've got to use the saying this now, it's <laughs> John Paul, um, did consecrate the world. And many people argue about the consecration as to whether or not it was valid or was it sufficient. Well, the fact that Sister Lucia said it was, in fact, accepted by heaven that it was a valid consecration. And, and really, the events of Eastern Europe, you know, in the years to follow, really cannot be ignored. I mean, and I traveled there off, and I was just in the Czech Republic last week, and in Poland, my wife is, my, my wife is from Poland. We were there for, for some moon on to the Czech Republic. I had a meeting, uh, been to Russia several times. I mean, but, you know, the, the effects of 70 years of mandated atheism do not disappear overnight, you know. And, uh, and many of those things were spread and unfortunately spread to a great degree to the West and in our country. Look at the secularism. Look what we deal with now in this country. Absolutely. Um, and so her, her message uh, from 1917 is as valid as ever for, for us in our, our modern day now. Um, yes, what, what, can you, what can you tell us about uh, Our Lady of Fatima and what she told the children and what, how, what, 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 was her, what was her, what was the essence of her message, and how are we to live that out in our daily lives? Well, her, the essence of her message was return to living in accord with the Gospels. Simple as that. That's, that's why she came. Um, uh, she, she, she warned us, and she, uh, but she gave us the message of hope. You know, all these terrible things. She said nations could be annihilated. She said, you know, a great war. Right. She talked of, talk of all these horrible things, but she didn't say that these were necessarily going to happen and mm. doomed and there's no hope. On the contrary, if there was no hope, why would she even come? Okay. She came to tell us that it's in our hands. We have the ability to, to make the difference and by doing the things that she, that she asked, that our Lord asks of us every day. First, live according to, you know, the rules. I mean, obviously, be in a state of grace and pray. Pray for reparation for your own sins and for the sins of others. Because, you know, we, we think sometimes that our responsibility is only for us and maybe our loved ones, those who we're close to. But truly, you know, true charity is, is something that is, uh, is practiced when I pray and try to help people who are not that close to me, don't, and necessarily don't even like. <laughs> you know, that's a, no, that's a challenge for all of us. And, it is a challenge, uh, absolutely. It is, and that's what she asked us to do. You know, are you willing to offer your lives in reparation for sin? She asked the children that, and they said yes, resoundingly. No. And, uh, and, and one of the aspects of Fatima that I find fascinating, and I think it's one of the reasons that the devotion to her is so great, is some of the miracles that came out of Fatima. First, well, you have the prophecies or the, the secrets that, that seem to have unfolded, 
uh, in accord with what, with what Our Lady said. And then you also have one of the great miracles in the history of Catholicism, which is the great miracle of the sun. Uh, sure. Can you take us back to that a little bit? Tell us what, what is known about that great event and uh, what happened there? Well, so interesting, obviously. You know, keep in mind that, that Our Lady was appearing to three illiterate children. Okay, these are three children that had, you know, that were not being, were not credible in the eyes of the world, in the eyes of the learned. Okay, even even the learned in the church. I mean, uh, plus keep in mind there was a secular government that was very anti-clerical in in Portugal in 1917. I, obviously, uh, you know, she told them, give the messages to the people, and on October 13th, I will perform a miracle to prove that you are telling mm-hmm. the truth. Okay, so the people, many people, seventy thousand people showed up at the Covidia on the on the seventeenth, or excuse me, on the thirteenth of October, and and the miracle of the sun occurred that day. Now it had been raining like crazy; people were just drenched and soaked and walking in the mud. And when they applied, when they when they when they arrived, they say at the Cova, they all of a sudden the sun began to spin. And began and, been, and and began plunging to the earth, and people were terrified. People thought it was the end of the world. Although it's very interesting that when you hear the accounts, uh, many will say that it was it was those who were most afraid were those who very likely were not in a state of grace. Mm. Those who were had a serenity about them as they watched mm. this occur. Okay. Anyway, the sun came down. It looked like it was going to just destroy everything, and then it went back into the sky. The rain stopped, and a miracle, another miracle that happened at that point was that everybody was dry all of a sudden, and the, the witnesses have said, all of a sudden, they were dry, their clothes were dry, the mud was gone from the ground, the mud was gone from their clothes. It was almost like, like the, the sun had come and just cleansed everything. That, that is incredible. Um, and there were, how, many, how many people did you say were, were on site there? Reported there were 70,000 there that day. Uh, and, quite a few uh, witnesses to this account. And, and it, I, if, if I remember correctly, it was reported in secular newspapers as well. Is that, is that correct? Absolutely. And there was the, um, the reporter, the editor from O Secolo, which is one of the major papers in Portugal. He was, he was a, uh, he was a, a not an atheist, but he was certainly not not a believer, and he went there with the intention of watching the people that day and reporting on this hoax. That was his reason for going. He witnessed it, and he wrote the most <laughs> the most incredible article supporting the um, uh, the apparition afterwards. It was amazing. So there is there is an issue of old secolo from that day, which uh, which uh, pretty much gave it you know gave it the credibility it needed. Um, so, uh, so yeah, I mean, it was it was it was an amazing event, and 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 it did prove that what they were saying was true. I mean, um, those who analyze, you know, Fatima has been analyzed by the learned for, I mean, forever for for ninety seven years now, mm-hmm. and um, it, you know, it is it is it is an apparition that that it, it, what is sensational about it i mean what is the you know the validity of apparitions sometimes people talk about how do you know well obviously the church the church will make their pronunciations on it and obviously so many popes have have endorsed fatima that that is no mm-hmm. the reality is it's the simplicity of the message you know you know pray be in accord with the laws of god okay and be willing to to offer your life in in this case in reparation you know, she, um, uh, you know, she did, Our Lady did show them on the 13th of July, she did show them, she opened up the earth and showed them the vision of hell. And, and, and she said to them, this is where the souls of poor sinners go. Will you make a 
for them so to avoid this fate. Mm-hmm. What our mission as an apostolate is. Yeah, yeah. Now that that leads in very well to uh, your apostolate, uh, the Blue Army. What can you tell us uh, both about the history of the Blue Army? How did it get started, and what's its role in the Church today? Well, okay, the Blue Army of Our Lady of Fatima was founded in 1947. Uh, John Hafford, who was our co-founder with Monsignor Colgan, both from New Jersey. Um, Monsignor Colgan had suffered a very severe heart, heart attack or heart issue. I don't exactly know what the story was. But he, he made a promise to Our Lady. He said, if you'll spare me, I will... I will spend the rest of my life promoting the message of Fatima because he was very devoted to it, curious and devoted to it. This was 30 years after the apparitions, 1947. Mm-hmm. So he came up one day from his from the pulpit at his church in New Jersey and said he wanted to form a blue army of prayer to counter the red army of atheistic communism. Because atheistic communism, he said, was a result. It was the beginning of the Cold War, and this was the fruit of Russia spreading her errors for 30 years. So he, he worked with John Hafford, our co-founder, and the two of them uh, put together an organization, which, which uh, an organization of simply of prayer. I mean, we have many things. We have a hotel, and we have all these the beautiful shrine in New Jersey, and all these things. But it is, it is, in essence, we're in we're in seventy some dioceses in the United States, and in many countries worldwide, we are an apostolate of prayer. We are devoted to fulfilling the mission given at Fatima. Now, our, our organization has has developed in uh, in nineteen or excuse me in two thousand five, uh, Saint John Paul II elevated our organization to the level of a public association of the faithful. He okay. believed very strongly in Fatima, and he wanted one organization to speak as the voice of the Church on the message of Fatima. So he selected us, and we were elevated to that position. I mean, again, this is not to denigrate any other Fatima organizations or anything, but it is it is a statement that when we speak, we speak with the authority of the Church. That's quite an honor uh, that was bestowed on your organization. It is, it is quite an honor and a responsibility that goes with it. I mean, a tremendous responsibility. But, but yes, and we do work in accord with our bishops and our priests, and um, and we um, and and you know we try to we try to be uh, you know an orthodox uh, you know an orthodox apostolate bringing the true message and working again within church. So that's that's our that's how we are today. Absolutely. And uh, what, how do you, what is your main mode of outreach to recruit new members or to spread, uh, spread knowledge about the Blue Army of Fatima? Obviously, you're uh, spreading the message of, of Our Lady under that title, but how do people find out more about the Blue Army? Well, many ways. Of course, we have divisions, and our division people hold many devotional activities, the holy hours, and such. At, you know, in the in the and conferences and such. Oh, as a matter of fact, I'm on my way to Florida. I'm at the airport. You probably have heard the announcements. I apologize in the background, but but I'm on my way down to Florida. We have a conference going on this weekend, um, the 16th, 17th, and 18th at Ave Maria University. We'll be co-sponsoring a Marian conference down there. Uh, if anybody is interested, there's still availability. We happily uh, can. Uh, participate if they would like. Uh, we have conferences. We have. You can see our website, uh, bluearmy.com is our website. 
Today, of course, we're known as the World Apostate of Fatima and also as the Blue Army. That's our, our traditional name. And um, we, can get, we can get more information on joining, becoming a member, uh, joining a cell, uh, a, a, a prayer cell, or, or getting more involved. I mean, we, we, we welcome. There are many different levels of participation. We just ask simply, you know, you, 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 you sign a commitment to offer your life reparation, for, for sin. If you say you sign the pledge, you, you promise to say at least five decades of the rosary every day, and you, and you promise to, to work towards making the first Saturday devotion, the devotion of the five first Saturdays, which Our Lady asked for in reparation to the Immaculate Heart. So these are the things we ask of our members. It's not a lot. Some people have minor participation just as prayer members. Others are very active in their divisions and such. Today at our shrine in New Jersey, I just came from there, we had about 3,500 people. We had a great event. Um, Mass, we have, of course, the 13th of of, of the six 13ths of the month and other events that occur at the shrine. We had Father Andrew Apostle from... the, uh, the friars of, of the renewal in New York mm-hmm. was our main celebrant today. Father is a good friend of our apostolate. He will also be with us in Florida for this conference this weekend. And um, uh, we have uh, we have we always start our events. And if anybody wants to be out there, if anybody lives in the New York area or the New Jersey area, we're located about 50 miles straight west of New York City. Uh, closer to the Pennsylvania border in the town of Washington, near the town of Washington. And, uh, and our, our events on the 13th consist of our rosary procession, our mass, our Eucharistic procession afterwards, enrollment in the scapular. These are the devotions. These are who we are. And, uh, and for more information, they can look at our website, bluearmy.com, and it'll give you all the details you need to, uh, to become a member. Wonderful. That that was a great summary there, David. Um, thank you so much for joining us today. I know, yeah. like you said, you're on your way to Florida right now, and I am, you're, at, yeah. you're at the airport. So I mean, I'm in the last. I apologize for the announcements behind me here. It was a, no, we're, we're very honored to have you on the show, and thanks for making the time. So, uh, everyone, check out BlueArmy.com, and thank you so much today, uh, David Carollo, for joining us on the show. Thank you, Michael. Appreciate it. God bless, God bless you. you. Thank you. Bye now. For those just joining the program, you've been listening to the Miracle Hunter radio show. Uh, We were just talking with the executive director of the Blue Army of Fatima, David Carollo. Uh, You can find out more about the Blue Army and their promotion of the Our Lady of Fatima devotion at bluearmy.com. Next up on the program, uh, we have an exciting interview uh, with Donald Anthony Foley. Uh, he's, he's somebody that I've been following online for, for years and have read his books. I'm very excited uh, that he's able to join us today. Donald is the Secretary of the World Apostolate of Fatima in Great Britain and holds degrees in the humanities and theology. He is the author of the book, Marian Apparitions, the Bible and the Modern World. And joining us today from Nottingham, England, uh, welcome to the show, Donald. Thanks very much, Michael. Yeah, it's good, good to be with you. Uh, I, I really appreciate you coming on to the show, uh, calling all the way in from England, and uh, I know it's a little bit late over there, so, so thank you for, uh, for working us into your schedule today. No, that's fine. No, no problem. And uh, today is, of course, uh, one of the, the great feasts in our Catholic faith the, uh, the, with our devotion to Our Lady of Fatima, and you are uh, a bit of an expert on Our Lady of Fatima. And uh, apparitions... Uh, they're sort of a, a funny deal in the sense that we're not obliged to believe them. Uh, the, the Church doesn't require this as part of our faith, but uh, they are honored in our churches with great shrines and saints who have had apparitions. And, 
of course, the feast days such as Our Lady of Fatima. What what can you tell us about a little bit about the role of apparitions in our church? Well, I think um, it's it's a sort of a sign of the times, really, for us. You know, as as far as uh, living now in the twenty first century, particularly with Fatima, because um, you know John Paul II spoke about they use that those very terms. You know, about Fatima being a great sign of the times and and of the church feeling that it imposes a commitment on her. So although it's obviously it's, it's private revelation, not public revelation. So as you say, as you said, it's not we're not obliged to believe. But I think um, it would be sort of foolish not to believe, in a sense, especially you know, as given you know the miracle of the sun and all the the, um, um, the way that the the, the the involvement with the papacy and just the the, the the holiness of the children and so on. The whole package, as it were, is, is saying you know this is genuine and we should uh, take it seriously. Absolutely, and I think one of the the really important aspects of Fatima it is one it is the most of approved apparition of all the apparitions in our church history, and it's a, it's a modern one that was investigated and has been promoted by pope after pope after pope. Um, I know on your website, uh, Theotokos Catholic Books, you make a special point to highlight the approved apparitions of our church. Can you walk us through a little bit what the approval process is uh, when the church looks at uh, an, an acclaimed apparition and goes through and, and declares it to be worthy of belief? Well, it's really it's a process that's sort of grown up um, gradually. I suppose it really um, was, became more formed, as it were, in the 19th century, because obviously, particularly in France, when the, the various apparitions um, began, or you know, the, the most important ones, sort of starting in Rue de Bac um, in Paris in 1830, then La Salette, then Lourdes, and uh, Pont-Man, which was um, a bit later on, and th- which is a, a sort of not, not so well known. Mm-hmm. But I think really it was a sort of um, a, a process that the bishops were confronted with with these events, and gradually a process of um, discernment grew up in the church, where that usually they they form a commission, the bishops, and then in collaboration with the commission, come to a decision on um, on whether the, the, the particular apparition was to be regarded as genuine or not. So that that's what's happened. It's sort of um, it's grown up gradually, and that obviously was the case um, with Fatima. You know, with the Bishop of Fatima, Fatima Maria, um, he you know went through a process and came out then in 1930 saying that Fatima was genuine. So that's this sort of um, it's very much um, if you like the Holy Spirit guiding the bishop and and the commission he works he would work with to come to a you know a, an assessment of. of whether or not a particular apparition or a series of apparitions were genuine. So that's how it's sort of grown up gradually. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. But, uh, you know, that's, that's the general, that's the gist of it, really. <clears throat> and, of course, in, in our church, uh, according to canon law, it is only required that the local bishop approve an apparition in order for that it, it be genuine, but um, or to be, to be considered worthy of belief. Uh, and, but we have sort of an extra level on top of that in which the Vatican sort of gives its uh, approval. It, we see it in the form of feast days or the canonization of saints or this sort of thing. Uh, can you talk a little bit about how the, what the Vatican does to uh, show its support to the local bishop or to the title in which Our Lady is honored? 
Yeah, I think it's just generally, as it were, usually, well, in the past anyway, the Vatican has not um, generally intervened. You know, they've left it up to the, the local bishop. Yeah. And um, as you say, it's things like, um, you know, uh, perhaps uh, making a, a, a basilica, you know, for a particular place, and um, beatification of the seer, that sort of thing, canonization. Obviously, you know, St. Bernadette um, canonized. But, of course, that is separate from the actual... Um, thing itself, the, the, mm-hmm. the, the, you know, the beatification, etc. So I think really it's, I mean, one say, for example, with Nock, the thing that was sort of seen as, as, as giving it the sort of seal of approval was, then, was when um, Pope John Paul II, or St. Pope John Paul II now, um, mm-hmm. went to Nock in 1979, because Nock had been a sort of slightly, there'd been, you know, um, Problems, as it were, shall I say? But um, you know, it was always seen as genuine. But it, it things that it had not, um, it, it, it still hadn't been properly resolved after a hundred years. Mm-hmm. But um, that you know, then Pope John Paul II went there, and that was regarded as uh, you know as a sort of seal of approval. But that, obviously, in connection with Fatima, the, the, the sort of connection of the popes with Fatima is just just outstanding, and and way above or, you know the other um, proved apparitions certainly. And why, why can you tell us a little bit about how the Church has uh, really embraced Fatima and uh, promoted uh, the message throughout the world? Oh, well, I think, you know, you, you can go right back, really, even to the, um, um, you know, the popes who, right at the time, sort of Benedict the Fifteenth and then Pius the Eleventh, they both gave a sort of, you know, um, I think, as, I, as far as I can recall, Pope Benedict was talking about the, the words along the lines of, you know, the marvelous events in, in, he was speaking, I think, to the Portuguese bishops or um, seminarians and saying about the marvelous events. So even right at the very beginning, the, the Pope there, the reigning Pope had recognized that there was something amazing. Obviously, the miracle of the sun had taken place. Mm-hmm. Um, and in Pius XI, um, I think similar remarks, but really, it's probably really from the time of Pius XII onwards, and then uh, he, you know, very strong support. He called himself the Pope of Fatima. And, yeah. and going on to um, Paul VI, he visited Fatima in 1967, you know, for the 50th anniversary, which uh, up to that time, really, no Pope, as far as I'm aware, had, had, you know, and certainly no one had been to the Lord, none of the Popes. They'd been there perhaps before mm-hmm. he'd become Pope. So that was a big day. And obviously Pope Paul VI um, appeared with Sister Lucia to sort of, say, yes, I, I support her mm-hmm. and what she's done, and um, prayed for peace. And then obviously, even more so, Pope John Paul II, you know, after yes. the assassination attempt and um, reading all the literature, and uh, going there in, in the, the next year, 1982, and then the consecration in 1984, and um, beatification of the uh, San Francisco in the year 2000, and mm-hmm. the third part of the secret revealed. So, and Pope Benedict, of course, as well, went, went there in 2010. Mm-hmm. And uh, Pope Francis has um, had his pontificate, uh, you know, consecrated to Our Lady of Fatima. And uh, I was at the, you know, last, um, last October when um, Pope Francis, the, the Marian Day, and he entrusted mm-hmm. the world to the Immaculate Heart of Our, uh, our Lady uh, with, with the statue of Our Lady brought from Fatima. So, oh. you know, that's sort of... Really um, incredible support, uh, and of course, there's all the teaching as well, and all the things that Pope John Paul II said. So it's a whole, a whole, a whole load of things which really the Church, really in a sense, hasn't really had the time to absorb. So um, yeah, no, very, very incredible 
support. Of course, I mean, the other thing, just as, just as I remember, you know, Pope Pius XII seeing the repetition of the miracle of the sun in the Vatican Gardens. Oh, that's right, that's you right. Know. So, you know, <laughs> you could just go on and on, really. There's, there's just so much. Yeah, pope after Pope has given his approval yeah. to this apparition. And uh, because it is uh, such an approved apparition and embraced by a church, uh, it's important that we look at what the essence of the message of Fatima is. And, and what, what would you tell our listeners? What is the essence of the Fatima message? Well, I, you know, I, I've been sort of going around and doing these Fatima presentations, and uh, mm-hmm. I'm sort of, um, it forced me to sort of say, well, what is the, what is the essence? You know, yeah. obviously the, the actual core thing is, is seeing Our Lady as our spiritual mother. And, you know, and that's the sort of, um, you know, about spreading devotion, as you said, Sister Lucia, you know, God wants to spread devotion to my Immaculate Heart throughout the world, which obviously is happening in, you know, it's happening in America, for example. You know, you've got the Blue Army, the World Apostles, it's very, but mm-hmm. it's a different story in Europe and Britain, where the church is under much more of, um, you know, secularism is much stronger. Um, so, you know, that's, that, that's the sort of core of it. And then I think you can say in a practical sense, if you look at the 13th of July, 1917 apparition, well, that's where most of the, the, the strong teaching came from Our Lady. And, you know, she was saying, particularly focusing on, you know, she said this at each apparition, pray the rosary every day. And that was, that was the sort of, that came out each time. So praying the rosary is a very big part of the Fatima message. And, you know, as she said in July, um, in order to obtain peace of the world and the end of the war. So it, people saying the rosary, that can bring about peace. You know, not just then, but obviously now as mm-hmm. well. And you also get the idea, you know, because only she can help you, this idea that she's the mediatrix of all graces, so that God wants us to go through Our Lady um, in this time uh, as the way he wants things to happen. So, you know, that, that's another aspect. Um, of course, then in July, obviously, she uh, said, and Our Lady said, uh, three months in advance about the miracle. So that's, mm-hmm. you know, you could say the greatest miracle in 2,000 years, really, church <laughs> You know, so that in itself is, is a big thing. But the other thing which struck, struck me is that, apart from the rosary then, uh, also in the July 1917 um, apparition, the second part of the secret, Our Lady was, spoke about all the things, you know, if if, um, if people don't cease offending God, all the things that would happen, you know, the persecutions and so on. Mm-hmm. Then she said to prevent this, I shall come to ask for the consecration of Russia to my Immaculate Heart and the communion of reparation on the first Saturdays. So I feel that the fact that she linked these two things, you know, she said, I shall come back. They were so important that she was going to come back, which she did in mm-hmm. the 1920s with um, Sister Lucia. To my mind, those two things are really important. They're linked there. There's a close link there. So I think it's the rosary, the, the devotion to Our Lady's Immaculate Heart, the rosary. And I'm talking you know, as far as actually we as lay Catholics can do things. Mm-hmm. Obviously, the consecration was something that was the Pope and the bishops. But for the, for us, you know, the ordinary people, it's the devotion to Our Lady, the Rosary, and the Communion Reparation, the Five First Saturdays devotion, and that's also linked in with the um, consecration of Russia. That, that the last thing, and I think what how it, um, it sort of works is how it should meant to work is that obviously John Paul II did the consecration in 1984. And Sister Lucia, you know, said, yes, it's been accepted, and now you'll see things start to happen, which is what happened, you know, all the, the kind of communism. But what I think what the, the problem is that the, the communion of the reparation, the five-fifth Saturdays, that is not, has not been 
really taken up enough by the uh, you know the bishops, uh, the, the priests, and the people, if you like. For me, it's probably different in America, and I'm sure it is, because mm-hmm. uh, you've got the world of world of and the Blue Army, which is, has always remained strong. It's different, probably, and, and, it, and maybe to, and to some extent as well in, in the developing world. But in Europe, certainly in Britain, it's not so strong. So I think those those are the things that really need to be focused on. You know, and and um, the, what I when I do the presentations, what I do, I do just a little bit of history, and um, mention things like the Battle of Lepanto, which mm-hmm. you know, I'm, probably listeners are probably aware of at least. And with that, you have a situation where in um, 1571, a huge um, Ottoman Empire, you know, the Muslim fleet, assembled out in the Eastern Mediterranean. Their attention was to invade Europe. And if they hadn't been stopped, that's what they would have done, and that would have been the end of uh, sort of Christian Europe, basically, because a huge fleet with an army to back it up. And Christian, under the Pope Pius V, the um, Christian states, mostly you know, the Catholic states in sort of southern Europe, got together with a smaller um, fleet, and Pope Pius V asked, begged people to you know to pray the Rosary for their success because it looked very you know it was a sort of very difficult situation. But anyway, the, the, the battle was won, and Pope Pius V had a vision of, of this in Rome, the, the, you know, and obviously it was you know, a thousand miles away or something. And that's where we get the Feast of the Holy Rosary. So out of people praying the Rosary, and, and the commander of the, you know, the Christian fleet acknowledged it was due to the prayers that they'd won, that we got that the great feast, you know, the, the Feast of the Holy Rosary on October the 7th, and there's a situation there where the Rosary changed history. You know, and it also happened. Um, the other thing I mentioned is about after the war in Austria, um, which was divided up um, after the, because Austria was sort of tied in with Germany during the Second World War. It was divided up into four different um, zones, and the eastern zone of Austria, where Vienna is, that was that was um, occupied by the Russians. So a, a Franciscan priest, Father Pavlicek, he was in Austria, and basically, he, from after the war, he went around, and his aim was to get um, 10% of the Austrian population, which was about 7 million at the time, so that was 700,000 people praying the rosary every day for the intention of peace in Austria, and that the Russians would leave. Mm. And then, in 1955, the, on the 13th of May, you know, the... the, the um, anniversary date, Fatima anniversary date, the Russians announced they were leaving and went eventually. And what I do is I contrast that with um, um, what happened in Czechoslovakia and Hungary, which are the sort of the countries to the north and south of that bit of Austria. Austria sort of sticks into, you know, juts into those in between those two countries. There, the people weren't, uh, you know, Later on, the date, so this is years after, um, in 1956, um, the next year in Hungary, they tried to leave the Soviet Union, and the revolution was put down, and also in Czechoslovakia in 1968. Mm-hmm. So I, I, what I say is that in both of the, in, in Austria, there was this program to say the rosary, and the Russians left peacefully. In the other countries, probably people were saying the rosary, but not in an organized way. Mm-hmm. The Russians didn't leave. So I think that you know you've got a historical examples there of the of the real power of the rosary, if enough people say it together for the same intention. So I think absolutely. So those are great examples. Uh, yeah. Thank you. I think yeah. most people are not familiar with that. So 
Thank you for, for pointing those out. And, uh, and of course, Donald, you're the author of the book, uh, Marian Apparitions, the Bible in the Modern World. And I know you have a website called Theotokos Catholic Books. Uh, can people get your book from that website? They can, yes, yeah, or on, on Amazon. You know, it's, um, it's sort of theotokos.org.uk is, is the, the web address. Um, you know, I mean, whichever way, it, it, uh, you know, it's, that's, uh, it, it, the books are all they're available on, on Amazon anyway. So um, Wonderful. And are you working on any uh, new books coming out anytime soon? Um, yeah, I've got a few things, but, um, but what I'm trying to do at the moment is a, a children's book. Oh, okay. You know, um, because um, I sort of worked, you know, did, did um, I think uh, supply teaching for the court of, I think you call it substitute teaching. Mm-hmm. So um, I just noticed, you know, that children's, the books with the whole sort of Harry Potter thing and, um, you know, and Philip Pullman and all the rest of it, just, I just thought to try and do something which is more Christian, if you like, you know, sure. and just have a story which is more um, traditional. But it's actually a lot more difficult than I thought it would be. <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm, I'm soldiering on with that. <laughs> sure. Well, so, well, best yeah. of luck with that. And uh, thank, you. thank you so much for joining us on the show today, calling all the way from Nottingham, England. Uh, this was uh, Donald Anthony Foley, author of Marian Apparitions of the Bible in the Modern World. Thank you so much for joining us today on the show, Donald. Okay. Thanks very much, Michael. Thank you. God bless you. Thank you. Okay. Bye now. Bye. And that's all the time we have for today. I'd like to thank our guest, uh, Executive Director of the Blue Army of Fatima, David Carollo, and author Donald Anthony Foley for joining us on today's show. Be sure to visit MiracleHunter.com as your resource for miracles and to keep up to date about how Our Lady is honored around the world at 365dayswithmary.com. Thanks for joining me today on Miracle Hunter, where it doesn't matter if you are a believer or a skeptic, it's always worth the hunt. You're tuned to Radio Maria, a Christian voice in your home. The program you just heard was a rebroadcast of Miracle Hunter with Michael O'Neill.